that earlier, so we'll have to go back in and, and fix that. But uh, as we look at this little passage, Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 4, uh, we've got to remember again, uh, when this was written, they didn't have chapters and verses. They had paragraphs. They would write in paragraphs. And so as you look at the couple of paragraphs before what was written, uh, what was going on, how was this accomplished? Um, back in chapter 14, how did it start off? started off with the feeding of the 5,000. Um, and, and then Jesus uh, sends the disciples away. He walks on the water, calls Peter to him. Uh, Peter steps out and, and then starts to sink. And then they get in a ship and he calms the sea. Uh, they get to dry land. He teaches, he heals. And then he goes up and he meets with the uh, one foreigner. He heals her daughter. He comes back down. He heals. He feeds 4,000 plus. And, and he's doing this all in the space of about you know, two chapters. You see, it's probably about a month and a half to two months, it appears to me. It's odd to me that the disciples, especially in chapter 15, say, we don't have bread to give them. Where are we going to get bread? A couple of weeks ago, he just fed the 5,000. Come on, wake up. Um, they look like a bunch of little kids here that don't know who they're with. I mean, when I used to go play basketball down at the park, you knew if somebody was good and you, I mean... You just knew to watch out for them. You knew you were in the, the area of greatness when somebody good came on to play basketball. And, and we just paid attention to things like that. It's like they're not paying attention here. They've forgotten the game that they just played a couple of weeks ago with Jesus. And now they get back down and, and he's trying to teach them again. But in this chapter, you've got a scenario set up here where you've got two groups of people coming and they're tempting Jesus. Who were these two groups of people? Well, you've got the Pharisees. The Pharisees were very legalistic. They were very down to earth. They were the common person, you might say. Um, they were the, the ones that you would meet on the streets. Um, but they were the ones that were trying to hold to the word of God. They were literalists. They would open up the word of God. And if it said in the word of God, you're not to make clay on the, on the Sabbath day, you're not to make clay. I mean, if you spit on the ground and you mix it up, you've broken the Sabbath. That's the way they looked at things. Um, if it said you're not to travel so far on the Sabbath day, you're not to travel that far on the Sabbath day. Uh, these were literalists. You might even uh, refer to them as the fundamental independent Baptists of the day. They were the, they were, if the Bible said that the earth was made in six days, they believed it, no questions asked. That's where I stand. Um, then you have the Sadducees come along. Why did they call them Sadducees? I, I, I could ask my wife and daughter this, why were they sad? Well, they didn't believe in the resurrection, therefore they were sad, you see. Uh, so, ha, 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 ha. Oh, that is so funny. We've never heard that one before, have we? <laughs> I've heard that all my life. So um, they were sad because they didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in ghosts. They didn't believe in spirits. They were more, if I can't see it, I'm not going to believe in it. And so they tended to be the ones that worked to get political power. They, they worked to, to get um, 
financial gain because they didn't believe in a hereafter. They believed this is all you've got and you might as well enjoy it because you only go around once and after that is the judgment and so uh, who cares what happens when you die. Uh, have fun while you can, it doesn't matter. These two had been opposed to each other for since the two groups were formed. And, and so the problem was that you have these two groups that are opposed to each other, diametrically opposed. They could never come together. And now they're coming together to do something. What are they coming together to do? They realize, the Pharisees realize that their influence with the common people is being taken away. And the Sadducees realize that their influence in the government and their possessions is being taken away. And so they're, they're all getting upset with Jesus. Uh, the Sadducees believe that they're going to lose their place. And you'll see this later on in Matthew that the Romans are going to come in and take our temple. They're going to take our stature away. We won't have a nation left. We won't be able to continue on with the status quo. We've got to do away with Jesus. And even uh, the high priest, um, I think it was Annas, uh, the high priest or Caiaphas, I forget which one was the high priest. One was the high priest. The other was his father-in-law. He said, one's got to die for the whole nation. It's better for one to die than that the whole nation should perish. And he was right. Uh, and so Christ died for everyone. But that being said, these two groups came and they were going to tempt Jesus. They wanted to make sure that he was doing everything he was supposed to be doing the way he was supposed to be doing it. And if it didn't match up to their standard, he wasn't the Messiah. And, and so they came tempting him. They came to examine him. And it's almost like they, they had not even paid attention to what had gone on before. Um, they came in and, and, and what does it say that they wanted? They desired, they, and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Okay, wait just a second. He's just fed 5,000 plus, probably 20,000 people with women and children. And then he's fed 4,000, probably about 15 to 16,000 with women and children. And you might say, I don't believe he did it. I, I just don't believe he could do that with that little of, amount, of, of an amount. Um, you know, that's fine. You can believe what you want. But if he could create the world... And that's what the Bible says, that all things were made by him and for him. And without him, nothing consists. By the power of his word, all things consist. So if he could make all things by the power of his word, why could he not just make bread and fish appear to feed 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people? Uh, it's not beyond the, the, the realm of reason to believe that that would happen. Um, but the Sadducees wanted to see a sign from heaven. What did they want to see? I mean, were they hoping to see a flying machine come over and write in the sky, Jesus loves you? I mean, we were at Disney one time and saw a plane come over and write, Jesus loves you while we were there at Disney. So, I mean, what more do you need to see? Nobody at Disney that, that I saw stopped and took notice of it other than us. And everybody else was just enjoying their day. But what did they need to see? I think what they wanted to see 
Now, Robert, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think what they wanted to see was Jesus open up the sky and 10,000 legions of angels come down and wipe out the, G- or wipe out the Romans so that they could take over and rule and, and the Pharisees and Sadducees would just step in right behind him and there's no faith involved and there's no question involved here. It's just he's the one and we, and, and we ushered him in. That's what they wanted. They wanted him to agree with their standard, not them agree with his. And and that's the problem that we face so much of the time. We think that we're the judge of Jesus when in reality it's uh, the other way around. Uh, Look at what Jesus has to say here. He he says, then then, uh, he answered and said unto them, uh, when it is evening, ye say, it will be fair weather. For the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul, foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. I don't know if anybody else has ever heard something like this. Um, red at night, sailors delight. Yeah. Red in the morning, sailor take warning. Where do we get that from? My mom used to, I mean, on the farm, we would bale hay based on that little saying right there. Uh, it's red tonight. It's red at night. Sailor's delight. It'll be a good day tomorrow to bale hay. Uh, let's go ahead and cut the hay. We can bale tomorrow. It'll be fine. Uh, red in the morning. Don't cut the hay today because it's going to rain later on today. That's just the way we were. Uh, if the sky was red in the morning, the clouds were moving in, the weather was coming from a different direction, you knew don't do the hay. Don't don't cut the hay because you don't want the hay to get wet. And, and, and that's just the way that we lived. Uh, I was just, as I was doing my study for this, looking at the Great Lakes and uh, how that they all know there are certain times that you don't cross the Great Lakes. I mean, we've, has everybody here heard the song of the Edmund Fitzgerald? The, uh, it's that long, long song that just goes on forever and talks about this ship sinking and it sank in November. It's called the Witch of November. Uh, the storms that come through the Great Lakes in November and just used to sink ships left and right there in the Great Lakes. And uh, you know, it's it's a beautiful song. It just uh, you know, it could be summed up in in, in just a real short verse. Uh, there was a ship, it went out, and it sank, and they all died, and that's just the way it was. And, but they didn't pay attention to the warnings in November. You need to be very careful because those, those things, the, the storms can come across the Great Lakes so fast and, and captains didn't pay attention to it and they would lose their whole crew uh, because of it. Well, what's worse than losing your whole crew is losing the whole nation. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they knew this saying that you could look to the sky and you could discern from the sky, oh, something's going to happen today with the weather. Or it's going to be nice today because of the, what I see in the sky with the weather. But they couldn't look and see, oh, 5,000 people being fed here. Something's going on. He's calmed the sea. He's calmed the storm here. Something's going on. They didn't stop and talk to the people that had been talking to Jesus, had been close to Jesus. Therefore, they weren't ready for what Jesus was bringing. And, and Jesus goes on and... Uh, Imagine, though, what kind of sign were they looking for? Um, 
In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses is telling them, he says, uh, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him shall ye hearken. And that's what they were supposed to be doing, was looking for a prophet like Moses. Now, what kind of, what kind of things did Moses do? What, what were some of the miracles that God performed through Moses? Um, can anybody think of anything that Moses did? The, the Red Sea. The part of the Red Sea. So nature is obeying Moses because God is working through him. What else did Moses do? The staff. The staff. It turned into a snake. Yeah, he could control beasts. Now, when Jesus came in on that um, Palm Sunday, what did he ride? A donkey, but not just any donkey. It says that no one had ever ridden this donkey before. Um, has anybody in here ever gone to a rodeo in the United States? And, and they'll take little kids, and, and they'll put these little kids on these sheep. Or goats and they'll just turn them loose and let the little kid go and see how long the little kid can stay on it and, and it's like you know all the farmers are just laughing because we've all done this I mean uh, I remember when I was about Robert's age I had a, a pony and it had never been ridden before and it just walked by me and I was sitting on a fence and I jumped on it and just to see how I could it was so much fun I mean the excitement the adrenaline level it was through the roof I was having a blast but that was not a tame pony at that time it took me a little bit longer to tame my pony uh, but Jesus puts his or the disciples put their clothes on this donkey that's never been ridden before and he just gets on it he tames it all of a sudden, just like Moses picking up the serpent, it's a tame snake. It turns into a staff for him. Uh, yeah, he has control over nature. What else did Moses do? Split the rock. He split the rock, and you had water come forth both times. So he's the giver of the living water. What did Jesus say? Uh, I think it's in John chapter, well, John chapter 4, when he's talking to the woman at the well. Out of me flows rivers of living water. You know, if you come to me, you'll never thirst again. You know, and, and so what else did he do? He, he glowed. Oh, yeah, he glowed. <laughs> what, what happened to Jesus when he's up on the, the Mount of Transfiguration? He glows. Um, Moses fed the fight, or he fed the multitude in the wilderness with manna, and, but he didn't feed them. Who fed them? It was God. Yeah, so it, everything that Moses did. Jesus is showing, I can do this. I have power here. When you go through the 10 plagues, almost every single one of those, Jesus kind of rep, uh, replicated in his own way, you might say. And, and it's so neat to see. And they still rejected him. They come, how were they coming to him? Was it they were coming with a pure heart to, to examine him and, and to say, is he like Moses or it says they came tempting him. They came tempting him. They didn't want him to be the Messiah. They were looking for any little detail they could to say, oh, you're wrong here. Isn't that the way we are in our world, though? We're looking for, well, it doesn't match up to what I say it should be, and so I'm the judge here, and you're not right. I don't know how many times I have talked to people that if God were a loving God, why did he... Blah, 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 blah. 
and, and they'll list off something and they will accuse God of being wrong. And, and when we start accusing God of being wrong, um, you know, the, the discussion I was having with uh, a missionary just uh, last night, um, is God a, in favor of genocide? I mean, he tells the children of Israel to wipe out certain tribes. And then I said, well, you know, he told Noah to build an ark and he wiped out the whole world. So, but God can do that because life and death are in the power of his hands. And is he wrong when he takes somebody's life? Well, he gave it. He's allowed to take it sometimes. Who are we to judge him on that? And, and that's where we have a problem as modern day thinkers. We think, well, these things are right and these things are wrong. Where do we get that idea of right and wrong? We have to go back to God's word to get that idea of right and wrong. And, and so we're trying to judge God according to his word, but we're not judging his word correctly. And, and so it, it's funny to see how Christ turns this around on him. He says, you can see this, the signs in the sky, but you're not, you're not discern, discerning the times. They should have been able to look to Daniel and see that after so many seven-year periods, this is what's going to happen. And they should have recognized it, but they didn't. Uh, they should have known after uh, the wise men came to Herod and said, we've seen his star and we've come to worship him. They should have gotten themselves ready, but they didn't. And, and so Jesus, what does he do? Um, he calls them, oh, ye hypocrites. Uh, he calls them hypocrites. And then he says they're an, a wicked and adulterous generation. What does it mean to be adulterous? Uh, I mean, th that was one of those sins that, no, we're, we are pure here. I mean, they, uh, how, do, how do I say this right? They strove. They, that was one of their main things was to make sure that they looked proper to everyone else. And Jesus calls them out on it. He says, you're wicked. You're adulterous. You, your heart is not right here. And, and then what does he do? He turns around and he walks off from them. Um, I don't know if anyone else has ever had something like this happen to you. But when you come to the point and you make your mom or dad just so mad that they, they just stop, they turn and they walk off and they leave you on your own. You know you're in trouble then. I mean, if you make your mom mad enough that she drives away and she leaves you there in the parking lot, you know you're in trouble. I mean, it's a seven-mile walk home. How am I going to get home if she drives off and leaves me alone? I guess I'm going to walk to the store and see if Dad will give me a ride home. If Mom is this mad at me and makes me walk to the store, which is several miles away, I... I what am I going to get when I show up to the store? You know, I might as well just keep on walking. Uh, it, you knew you were in trouble when they walked away. You knew that if dad just dropped what he was doing and just turned around and walked off, it's like, oh no, I have just crossed over. They didn't recognize it. Here Christ, the creator of the universe, drops what he's doing and walks away from them and, and leaves them alone. And he's judged them of not being worthy. And from this point on, he doesn't deal with the nation of Israel anymore. He starts dealing with the church. He's turned to those that are outcast, those that are outside of Israel. And, and it's so, on the one hand, 
it's a scary place to be. On the other hand, now, because we're outside, it's a blessed place to be because now he's turned to us. The question, though, for us is, what are we doing with it? Uh, in Romans uh, chapter 9, 10, and 11, it says, don't despise what he's done. Don't think that you're above Israel and, and get a big, in essence, get a big head uh, and, and be lifted up in pride because he's going to graft them back in and he can just as easily take you out. So <laughs> I, I remember as a kid hearing the statement, I brought you into the world and I'll take you out. <laughs> and, and we... We laugh about that nowadays, that, uh, but back in the 70s, 80s, it was a little bit more true. You know, our parents would, you know, we didn't threaten to, to go to the social services and say, yeah. you know, my dad is being mean to me. My dad would have everything packed and on the doorstep and I would be sitting there and he's come and take the kid away and have fun. Yeah, that would have been, but yeah, but here Christ is. He's saying, I'm leaving you. I'm out of here. And he left them and departed. That's got to be the, the saddest statement for them here. He left them and departed. So what can we learn from this? What can we learn from this? Well, first off, are we willing to recognize the work that he has already done? What's the work that he's done? Um, the greatest work that he has done and probably the most provable work that he has done is the resurrection. We celebrate this every year with, when we celebrate Easter. Uh, the resurrection. You say, do you really believe the resurrection? There's more historical proof for the resurrection than there is for the life of Abraham Lincoln. Really, there is more historical proof for the resurrection uh, when you look at all the different historians that have written about it, in the time of the resurrection, you've got Josephus that was one generation away from it. Uh, you've got, um, there were, were two others. There was a Greek historian and a Roman historian. They were not Christians and they were not advocates of Christianity, but they both refer back to the resurrection. You've got the four uh, gospels talking about the resurrection. You have Paul talking about the resurrection. You had so many people that were claiming the resurrection. If they could have found a body, don't you believe that the Roman soldiers would have found it? They, I mean, they had control of everything. They could walk into a house and rip it apart, and there it is. They weren't about to let something like that go down without a fight. I am sure they were searching for the body. Somebody their head was going to roll if somebody had come in and stole the body out from under the under their nose they weren't going to let it slide this was widely known everybody knew it why was there uh at pentecost five thousand come to christ in one day because everybody knew the resurrection is real that's what jesus talks about here he says um there won't be a sign given to you but this but the sign of the prophet Jonas. What happened with Jonah? He was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights. And then it spit him out and he went to Nineveh and he preached. And you say, well, that couldn't have happened either. There are historical accounts of people being swallowed by fish, whales. Uh, I think one was a, uh, 
what do they call it, a whale shark. And 12 hours later, they cut it open and they pulled the body, or they pulled the, the uh, sailor out, if I'm not mistaken. I, I've seen that. Um, so don't say it can't happen. And if God wants to do something like that, who who are we to say that he can't? And Jesus uses that sign. And so after they saw the resurrection, why did so many come to him? That should be a sign to us that this is real. This is, this is something we need to pay attention to. Because if we don't, what's the alternative? What is the alternative if we don't pay attention to the resurrection? So what are we going to do with the resurrection? Will we become the judge of Jesus or will we let him be the judge of us? And that's really the problem. I think most of the time, we in our day and age, in our culture, we hate submitting to someone else. It just, uh, I was just watching uh, just last week, I think it was, uh, in a church in California, a big mega church that's known for being very fundamental, whole group of people got up and walked out of the sermon because he mentions wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And they just got up and walked out. And it's like, how can you do that? What, what are you expecting? You know, this is the word of God. Are we going to submit to Jesus or are we going to get up and walk away from him? Or is he going to get up and walk away from us? Do we recognize the purpose for his death and his resurrection? What was the whole purpose here? Was it just to be an example to us? No, and, and this is the problem. Um, we don't recognize the magnitude uh, magnitude of our sin. Um, we think our sin is just something, it's a little white lie. It, it's a little, yeah, hitting my brother, hitting my sister, it's not that bad. You know, lying to mom, lying to dad, it's not that bad. Cheating on a test, it's not that bad. Uh, we, we look at sin as just, it's okay, but how does God see our sin? I mean, really, how does he see our sin? It's an affront against him. Because what's the, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, if we're loving God with all that we are, what should that do for us? Um, we love our children, um, and I, I wouldn't say I love my children with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength but it's pretty close. Uh, I wouldn't say I love my wife with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, but I'm trying to. I'm getting pretty close. What do I do? I mean, I, I'm willing to get up early, go to bed late. I'm willing to stay up with, you know, if a kid is throwing up, I'm willing to, hey, Daylene, get up. You might want to go take care of the kid that's throwing up, you know. I'll, I'll wake up and wake her up to, to go take care of the kid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But when you've got a child that's sick, are you willing to get up and stay with it? Uh, what are you willing to do for someone that you love? What are we willing to do for Christ? What are we willing to... How do we love him? And, and if we don't love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, what does that say um, about our sin? Uh, we're not quite where we ought to be. We're not, doing, we're not aiming towards the goal that we're supposed to be aiming towards. What is the goal that we're supposed to be aiming towards? His glory. In everything that we do, it should be for his glory. Whether we're playing the guitar in front of everyone, whether we're praying, whether we're sitting in our seat, whether we're sitting at home, 
enjoying the sermon. It should be for the glory of God. Everything that we do should be for his honor and glory. And if it's not being done for his honor and glory, what is it done for then? It's done for me or something else that I love. That's a sin. I mean, what were we created for? For his honor and glory. Um, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Plain and simple. That's why death came into the world. That's why Christ had to die on the cross, was for our sins. Because I'm such a, a bad sinner. He had to die in my place. And I don't think we recognize that. I know the Pharisees, the Sadducees, did not get that, that they were bad people. They just didn't see it. And it's easy for us standing back here looking at them and saying, you are wicked. Your hypocrisy is wicked. Your sin is wicked. But then when we start to examine our own life, it's, it gets a little bit tougher to see, are you wicked? I mean, really? Is Robert wicked? Yeah. He's sitting there saying, because he knows himself. But for me looking at him, I'm like, he's a good kid. He, he does what he's supposed to. He, he listens to his dad. He's a good kid. Um, you know, he's nothing like I was. You know, but so when we're judging one another, it's it's kind of easier to see the good or but we know what's going on inside and or we should and we should be willing to acknowledge that to God. The wages of sin is death. My sin caused him to die on the cross. What am I willing to do for it? Are we willing to acknowledge that like first John chapter 10 verse uh, chapter four, verse 10 says this here in his love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. I love that word, propitiation. Does anybody know what it means? It means payment. He paid my price. It's, it's like, Fawn doesn't even, it's not even a good word, but he, there was, I was up for sale and he stepped in and paid the price for me. It, it, it goes back to the slave trading days. There's a debt that a person owes. They're up for sale because of the debt that they owe. They can't buy themselves out of slavery. And somebody comes in and pays that debt. They're the propitiation for that person. That's what Christ is for us. Because we don't have slavery anymore. It's not prevalent in our society. We don't see that anymore. But that's what he has done for us. He's bought us off the slave blocks. We were up for sale, and he came in, and, and he was willing to pay the price. Our question is, do we surrender and say, you're right. I deserve this. Please forgive me. Or are we going to judge him and say, uh, no, you're not quite the master that I want to serve. Who do we want to serve? You can serve Christ. Or who else are you going to serve, Robert? Satan. Satan. I mean, that's your only two options. Christ or Satan. And I'm sorry to put it in so blunt of terms, but that's the way it's that's the way it is. And to put it any other way is to deceive ourselves. You're either going to serve Christ or you're going to serve Satan. Who do you want to serve? Last thing, once you see who he is, what will you be prepared to do for him? I mean, what should we do? We should be willing to surrender all for him. I love the song, I surrender all. I just feel guilty every time I sing it because I know I'm not surrendering all. I should surrender all. 
though, for him. And I hope that's what we will be willing to do in our own lives, just give our all to him, because we know the time is short. Uh, and, and you might say, well, you know, we might have 50 more years. If we've got, even if, if I live to be 80 years old, I'm already past 50. That's only 30 more years. The time is short. I mean, I was talking with um, a couple of yesterday and just pointing out they've got a nine-year-old. They're halfway done with him. They're halfway done with him. And they better be preparing for the future. They better be looking at the long, the long haul here because the time is short. You better do what you can right now because the time is short. What, what will you do with what God has given to you right now? So let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Dear Father God, thank you so much for your word that you've given to us. Thank you for uh, just loving us so much that you were willing to come and die on a, an old rugged cross, uh, the worst form uh, of punishment, the worst death that, uh, that we as human beings have ever come up with. Um, you were willing to do that just because you loved us so much. Uh, Lord, I pray that if there's someone that's watching today or someone that's listening today um, that doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they, they turn their life over to you, that they trust you. Uh, the alternative is unacceptable. Uh, it just, it, it, it's hard to even think about. But Lord, I pray you would help us that we would follow you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Thank you so much for your love to us. Thank you that you forgive us. Uh, thank you that you draw us to yourself. You're not trying to judge us. You're not trying to uh, point out all the, the little faults that we have. Uh, you just want to draw us close to yourself. You want to pay that price for us. Uh, and you want us to be like you. Uh, we love you and praise you for it. Uh, just help us to serve you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh. Thank you.